in a world where hooded cultists totally, 100% actually exist. So, Chip, why did you want me to come to this abandoned building with you? Oh, who are your friends in the hoods? Where ritualistic human sacrifices take place daily. God is dead! Satan lives! Where your local daycare serves as their base of operations, and everyone who likes metal is definitely one of them. Starring Mike Warnke. Why is it that you drive in a parkway and park in the driveway? Key McFarland. We've got to believe the children. And the entire town of Salem, Massachusetts. She's a witch! Burner! This January, get ready to panic about the satanic. Rated R, coming to a podcast feed two towns over from you. Stop. So the eagle okay. has landed. That, yes. That's right. No, no more talking about all the crimes that we do to keep this show afloat. That's right. Now, now that the record button has been pressed, and mm-hmm. and to all the people, all the crimes. Listen, like. you know, when you see me on the street corner, um, just be gentle. That's all I ask. Also, it's a uh, fifty per. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Me love you long time. Oh well. Yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's twenty to look, it's fifty to touch. We can negotiate from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so welcome everybody. If you have a ghost strokes backstage pass, then <laughs> you get ten percent <laughs> off your next order. <laughs> <laughs> just, just roll up and flash can, that. Yeah, Donald, get in the car. No you questions can join asked. Join the two towns over only fans. <laughs> <laughs> it's our special Patreon tier. Yes. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome. Wait, just wait. Just wait for fucking January. You're going to get our goddamn yearly calendar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wait till you see goddamn March. You'll never fucking believe it. <laughs> so, we got Sharknado 3's own Will Wiley. Posing like the Mothman. Yeah, posing like the Mothman. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to Two Towns Over. We actually have a Two Towns Over episode uh, today. We're doing a return to form today. Yeah, a full-blown return to form. I actually have... An urban legend to tie into our main story today. Our intro music should have been Return of the Mac, and I don't care what else you say. <laughs> Just Return of the Mac. Guess who's back? No. Back again. <laughs> <laughs> because as far as... Shady every- is back. You should tell your friends. The just- original TTO format. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Guess who's I've- back, back, back. In the four, Matt, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, two towns over is back. All right. Um. <laughs> Yet another <laughs> banger. Fuck. <laughs> uh, this is this is what you get when you let us take a week off. Yes, <laughs> we, 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 we come get, back. Yeah, we come back stronger than ever and more distracted. We, we, we've received a Zinkai Power Boost. <laughs> That's a Dragon Ball thing. Sorry. Dragon Ball Z, I guess. All right. So. Fuck, I'm a nerd. <laughs> Actually, I'm listening to another podcast. 
um, about uh, L. Ron Hubbard right now. Oh, fuck. And, oh, yeah? yeah? That motherfucker was crazy. Yeah. And th- their exact quote on the podcast, which, you know, is LP, you know, OTL. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that all cults start with nerds. Yes. Yeah. So you're on your way. I, dude, I have conversations with my D&D friends all the time, uh, a couple of them specifically, where it's like, dude, we we are smart enough and apparently goddamn charismatic enough. Uh, if if I was a little bit less morally inclined, I probably could start a cult. Oh, absolutely. It's really not that fucking hard, which you can learn about all about in our Satanic Panic series, starting yeah. on in January of 2023. January 1st, right? Yeah. Yeah, literally. Smack, bang, thank you. New Year's motherfucking day. Yeah. So So, it drops like at midnight, right? Midnight, yes. So as soon as we hit. Literally. 10987654321, two towns over. The first thing that you can do in 2023 is start the Satanic Panic series for two towns over. There you go. And uh, you'll be hearing... Well, you'll probably hear a commercial about it at the beginning of this episode. I did Hopefully look did, directly yeah. at a fucking imaginary camera when I said the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to get to that point, and that means we've got to do today's episode. And today's episode, we're going to be discussing the urban legend of Skinless Tom and the real story of Hisashi Aochi. Okay. Who is listed as the most radioactive man ever. You you nice. sent me the name because you were like, by the way, this week we're we're gonna we're gonna do a return to form, and we're gonna talk about uh, Skinless Tom, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna Skinless talk about the Tom, real story of and name. you. That's what I call my dick. And what you Obviously. when when you sent You're it circumcised? to me, <laughs> are you not? No, I am. Okay. And that's more than anybody out there needed to know. <laughs> we live in America. They know that shit just happens. Uh, you sent it to me, though, and for whatever reason, my brain was, like, not tuned to Japanese name frequency. I was like, what the fuck is a Hisichi Auchi? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his last name is... It's, it's, it's an itchy ouchy, buddy. His last name is literally spelled O-U-C-H-I. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I, the whole time I was reading it, I was reading it as Hisachi Auchi. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's kind of, you know. That is how Americans would probably say yeah. it. Because we don't really have a good system for separating vowels without consonants. Aochi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I watched a video about it, and it was being pronounced as Ochi. So uh-huh. I was like, oh, we'll go with that. All right. So he this, does get a real bad Ouchie, though. Oh, like, real bad. So maybe, maybe maybe the, the most worst. irradiated man in history gets a bad ouchie. What? Maybe the worst ouchie in all of human history. <laughs> no, it's just a it's just a mispronunciation. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I just want to make sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, all right. So the story of Skinless Tom. Decades ago, in first of all, I'm so sorry. Skinless Tom is a great like band name. Oh yeah, he should have been in what the fucking the the Dead's one. Oh mayhem, mayhem. Yeah, like he would have been like. Skinless Tom skin- plays a skin flute. Nah, he would have been like he would have been like the fucking secondary guitarist. Yeah, the, but the, he the does, rhythm guitarist, the rhythm yeah. guitarist. Uh-huh. But like he does like sick fucking solos, and they're like he ain't got no skin on his fingers. He's skinless Tom. You know? So decades ago in Walland, Tennessee, a young man named Tom was living the dream. He was handsome, funny, and smart, and the ladies noticed. He slowly began to womanize everybody in town, and yet. As with most playboys, he was never content. 
He would spend a bit of time with a woman before breaking up with her and moving on to the next. But everything changed when he met a gorgeous woman from the next town over. Two towns over, you might say. Some tales of skinned Tom call her Eleanor. She was basically his dream girl, except for one unfortunate fact. She was already married. Tom didn't mind, and he got a rush from sneaking around with a married woman, trying not to get caught. He even pulled it off for a while, and they would kiss in Tom's car near Lover's Lane and do what all secret lovers do. Fuck. (laughs) That is. Yeah. Until Eleanor's husband tracked them down and got the ultimate revenge on Tom. Mandor hook car handor? (laughs) For making him a cuckold. The legends say that... You know that we get... Never mind. Sorry. Sorry. The legends say that Eleanor's husband dragged Tom out of the car and skinned him alive with a hunting knife at the sight of his smug face. Do you know how There's, fucking long it takes I was to skin say, a thing? You can't hold a person down long enough to skin them alive if they're conscious. For sure. Not, not unless not you by have yourself. like a table and straps and shit. Right. No, by, by yourself, single-handedly, a fully conscious, trying to fight and escape human being, you ain't gonna skin No alive. fucking way. You might cut them up real bad. Oh, yeah. But you could gonna... even kill him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But you're not going to skin him alive. No. That's hard to do properly for a dead animal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, Tom had begged the anger man not to hurt him, swearing that he had no idea that Eleanor was married, which was a lie, and that he would never go near her again. Also Probably a lie. Also a lie. <laughs> but her husband saw right through Tom's phony antics and got the ultimate. Tom, pain. I see right through your damn tomfoolery. <laughs> Oh, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. Oh, Thomas, Thomas. Uh, and got the ultimate vengeance on the man who had wronged him. Now, as for Eleanor, there are different versions of what happened to her. Some are legends say that her husband had killed her with the hunting knife right before he skinned Tom, albeit in a much less gruesome way. Others say that he had kept her alive on purpose, forcing her to watch as her lover was brutally murdered. Um, with what tools? A knife. A no, hunting knife. hunting knife. No. <laughs> Mm-mm. Well. Um, Punch him in the face from the side. He's focused on Tom. Slap him. Run. You both get away. Usually. <laughs> Pretty easy, actually. So the part of the story that doesn't change, however, is Tom's brutal end and how he now makes it his mission in death to prevent others from making the same mistake he did in life. According to many urban legends told around the campfire in Tennessee. He's like, dude, I see you're cheating with Mrs. So-and-so from down the lane. (laughs) Keep that shit on the DL, dog. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He is described as a bloody skeleton who still holds the very same hunting knife that was used to remove the skin from his body and will scare away anybody who tries to make it out of the Tennessee countryside. Or, I'm sorry, tries to make out in the Tennessee countryside. Cheating is a painful act that hurts everybody involved, a lesson that Tom had to learn the hard way, and you'll definitely stop smooching a married lady once a bloody knife-wielding skeleton comes your way. And there's even a nursery rhyme. I mean, unless, of course, everyone involved in the marriage and also outside the marriage is like consenting adults, and then it's like cool. Mm-hmm. But you just got to make sure like everybody's okay with what's happening. You just got to like talk it out, you know? You got to have a couple long conversations about that. Right, 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 right. So the nursery rhyme goes Have you seen the ghost of Skin Tom? Bloody red bones with the skin all gone. Oh, 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 oh. Wouldn't it be chilly with no skin on? That's I mean, a bad nursery rhyme. It's bad it is. nursery rhyme, yeah. but it would kind of be 
I guess it, I don't know. I, it probably feel real fucking hot, honestly, from what? just like the pain. Yeah. yeah. All right, so that brings us to the main story today. Now, what could the most radiated man have to do with Skinless Tom? We're about to find out. I love, I recently have been watching and rewatching a series on YouTube by this guy named Kyle Hill, um, who it's called Half the Half-Life series by Kyle Hill. Uh-huh. Um, and usually he does like, uh, if you guys remember the blonde dude who looked kind of like a discount Thor and he used to like write on yeah. the glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That guy. That's Kyle Hill. Yeah. Okay. And now. I was going to say, Kyle Hill's been in my recommendeds lately. Yeah. He's fucking awesome. So the Half Life series by him is he's like a nuclear nerd. He and I also kind of like believe like nuclear power is the type of power that is both the safest and most efficient that we have access to. Yeah. Across the planet right now. And he talks about how the waste and all this, the, all the things that we have figured out solutions for and all the scaremongering yeah, people shit. People are definitely irrationally afraid of nuclear power. Right. Right. In the Half-Life series. We're not going to help that today. No. Well, and it's also <laughs> because we chose to use that power for evil yeah. in 1942. So, Well, the Half-Life series actually does cover a lot of like early nuclear shit that was going on. And it talks about how in... Every case of um, radiation poisoning in the world, mm-hmm. um, it almost always comes down to mis uh, mishandling and misinformation. Oh, buddy. <laughs> and we're about to find that out today, guaranteed. Um, but it is also at the same time, even during those stories, like you realize how safe nuclear power is comparatively because even with every human ever irradiated by nuclear power coal industry and fucking fossil fuel burning industries kill like 10 times more than that oh, a yeah. year yeah so like it's it's just an interesting thing i love fucking talking about radiation and how nuclear power works it's super interesting and let's fucking get into it all right so nuclear power was an important energy alternative for natural resource poor japan to limit dependence mm-hmm. on foreign energy uh, providing approximately 30% of Japan's electricity up until the Fukushima disaster of 2011. I say the Japanese people are so fucking resourceful. Yeah. And it's because they have so few resources on the island of Japan. Mm-hmm. That's why they're so innovative. They have had to be. You just yeah. gotta be, you know? Yeah. Well, after Fukushima, uh, nuclear electricity production fell into sharp decline. Now, the village of... Uh, by the way... A total of zero people died as a result of Fukushima, just right. so we know, you know. So the village of Tokai's location, which is approximately 70 miles from Tokyo, and available land space made it ideal for nuclear produ- power production. So a series of experimental nuclear reactors and then the Tokai nuclear power plant, the country's first commercial nuclear power station, were built there. Over time, dozens of companies and government institutes were established nearby to provide nuclear research, experimentation, manufacturing, and fuel fabrication, enrichment, and disposal facilities. Nearly one-third of Tokai's population rely upon nuclear industry-related employment. On March 11, 1997, the village of Tokai's first serious nuclear-related incident occurred at PNC, which stands for the Power Reactor and Nuclear Fuel Development Corporation, uh, bituminization facility. You said three letters and then like 12 words. <laughs> well, okay. So the PNC stands for the Power Reactor and Nuclear Fuel Development Corporation. 
and it that was, is very few letters for a whole lot of words. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure if you did it in Japanese, it would make more sense. Yeah, I know that's knows. probably accurate. Uh, and the the building where the the thing happened was in their bituminization facility. Uh, it is sometimes referred to as the Donin accident. Donin being an abbreviation for PNC's full Japanese name, Toriokuro Kakunenryo Kaihatsu Jigodan, or Jigyodan. Toriokuro Kakunenryo Kakunenryo Kaihatsu and then Jigyodan. Kaihatsu Jigyodan. As far as the romanization tells us. <laughs> <laughs> the site <clears throat> encased in solidified... more effort than we put into most foreign languages. True. So. It's, well, I just... It's because Japan, Japan, Japan sounds good to me in my ears. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I tried like four times to say Japanese just there, and it just did not. It just didn't. So I used what to the, hate it. So what this facility did is it encased and solidified low-level liquid waste in molten asphalt, also called bitumen, for storage. And that day, um, that day was try. They were trying a new asphalt waste mix using twenty percent less asphalt than normal. A gradual chemical reaction inside one fresh barrel ignited the already hot contents at ten a.m. and quickly spread to several others nearby. Workers, what years this? this was 97. Okay. Workers failed to properly extinguish the fire and smoke and radiation alarms first forced all personnel to evacuate the building. At 8 p.m., just as people were preparing to re-enter the building, built-up flammable gases ignited and exploded, breaking windows and doors, which allowed smoke and radiation to escape into the surrounding area. It's also because I know how to pronounce the romanization of Japanese mm-hmm. words, and I do not know how to do that for, like, Swedish or Gaelic. Oh, know. hell no. It's hilarious. I read an entire paragraph, and he goes back to something that was said. Yeah, that's ADHD. That's not ADHD. Okay. Did you even hear what I said, though? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the incident exposed 37 people um, to trace amounts of radiation in what the government's science and technology agency declared the country's worst yet nuclear accident which was rated a three on the international nuclear event scale. Out of five. No, out of seven. Out of seven? Yeah. That's uh, a weird number to have a scale It to. is. And if I'm not mistaken, if I read correctly, Chernobyl was considered a seven. Ah, oh, that's right. Right. So. Ah, right. I'm thinking of classes of nuclear materials. Class one up to five or down to five. I'm not sure. Class one materials are the shit that you put in the reactor. Right. Class two materials are like made from direct exposure to those other materials. And then you just go down from there, which you need irradiated materials for different things. Like um, um, you use gamma radiation and stuff to image pipe, like to like um, oil pipelines and shit. You got to check whether the seams, you know, for leaking mm-hmm. and all that. And you use radiation sort of like an X-ray, but for metal. Mm-hmm. Um to image those pipes and stuff. So that's like one of the types of things you need for also hospitals. So a week after that event, uh, meteorological officials detected unusually high levels of casium 25 miles southwest of the cesium. Cesium. It's C A S E I U M. It's pronounced cesium. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fucking Latin. Um, Yep. Yep. 
Aerial views over the nuclear processing plant building showed a damaged roof from the fire and explosion allowing continued external radiation exposure. Now, PNC management mandated two workers to falsify reports that chronological events leading, um, oh my God, falsify report the chronological events leading to the facility evacuation in order to cover up lack of proper supervision. Mm -hmm. Step one of how nuclear shit gets out of hand. Falsify records. Doan and leadership failed to immediately report the fire to the Science and Technology Agency. This delay was due to their own internal investigation of the fire, causing hampered immediate emergency response teams and prolonged radioactivity exposure. Doan and facilities, facility officials initially reported a 20% increase of radiation levels in the area surrounding the reprocessing plant, but later revealed the true percent was 10 times higher than that initially. Jesus. Motherfucker. Yeah, they did uh, like a whole cover-up yeah. for this. It so, literally, like th this never hit major headlines. Yeah. <coughs> they did a whole cover-up operation to avoid letting people know um, that this was all a result of their negligence. And yeah. Wow. So Tokai residents demanded criminal prosecution of PNC officials reorganization of company leadership and closure of the plant itself following public outcry the facility closed until reopening in november 2000 when it was reinstated as a nuclear fuel processing plant later prime minister ryutaro hashimoto criticized the delay that allowed radiation to continue to impact local areas now the second more serious tokai nuclear accident occurred approximately four miles away from the PNC facility on September 30th, 1999, at a fuel enrichment plant operated by JCO, a subsidiary of Sumitomo Metal Mining Company. It was the worst civilian nuclear radiation accident in Japan prior to Fukushima nuclear disaster in 2011. And this is where <laughs> our story takes yes. place. The incident exposed the surrounding population to hazardous nuclear radiation after the uranium mixture reached criticality. Two of the three technicians mixing the fuel lost their lives. The incident was caused by a lack of regulatory supervision, inadequate safety culture, and improper technician training and education. The safety regulations and everything here, I, it's, I, may, I may be stealing this from you, but I heard it earlier and I want to point it out real quick. Um, somebody who investigated later, I believe, said that the security regulations and training and everything that took place here were uh, more like a bakery than a nuclear power facility. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. what, what this facility did was convert uranium hexafluoride into a rich uranium dioxide fuel. So they actually made the fuel rods mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. location. Yeah, I feel like it's important to point out um, that, like we were saying earlier, um, that nuclear power is actually not something to be afraid of it's like on, on a large scale dumb safe like yeah you wouldn't i barely believe it you know what i mean right um it we're about to talk about what can go wrong but this is the kind of thing that only goes this wrong as a result of massive corner cutting greed and negligence complete mm -hmm. lack of regulation and security and training these people were mixing nuclear materials 
in like basically buckets yeah. mm-hmm. with their bare hands. <laughs> yeah. With their bare hands. Yeah. Because they had no training or education on what they were actually fucking with. Which you can actually touch certain radioactive materials. Yes. Because they are not currently emitting radiation. Right. However, <laughs> when you are specifically making uranium fuel rods, yeah. that shit reacts. <laughs> All right. So... So yeah, so this served as the first step in producing nuclear fuel rods uh, for Japan's power plants and research reactors. Now, enriching nuclear fuel requires precision and has the potential to impose extreme risks to technicians. If done improperly, the process of combining nuclear products can produce a fission reaction, which in turn produces radiation. Like radiation is such that uh, back in like the 40s and and up and through the 50s and 60s, mm. when they were doing experiments with them, <clears throat> um, the Demon Core you may have heard about in school. Yes. Um, uh, I actually just thought that was one of the, the Kyle Hill videos that was recommended to me was the Demon Core. Yeah, oh man, that fucking video is real good. But it talks about two separate instances in like within a year of each other with that same core that um, uh, two men plus a few other... Two, the two men that the video focused on died, but they was because they were both on the same team before. And then, basically, uh, the Demon Core was a metal ball about the size of like maybe a soccer ball or a dodgeball ish, mm-hmm. slightly smaller, I guess. And if you were to stack enough of enough of a of a metal around it, uh, it would reflect uh, neutrons back in such a way that it would begin the nuclear reaction and begin emitting radiation. Both accidents occurred because a guy dropped a brick and another guy dropped like this apparatus that was equivalent to the brick setup that they had, but with a little bit more sophisticated. But they were just testing how much, how close can you get it to critical before it starts going. And both of them, because of the slip of a hand, died. Like, radiation is like, you can't really see it. Unless it's happening to you, and if it's happening to you and you see it, that is a very bad sign. You're probably fucked. And in fact, you're probably fucked in a way that, like, you're not going to feel it for an amount of time depending on how much radiation you got. Yep. Radiation is scary. It's fucking scary. And, yeah, we're going to get into that. Um, You know what's also scary? Fucking suffocating in a coal mine. Get Goddamn, get on it. In order to enrich... In order to enrich the uranium fuel, a specific chemical purification process is required. The steps included feeding small batches of uranium oxide powder into a designated dissolving tank in order to produce urinal nitrate using nitric acid. Next, the mixture is carefully transported. Urinal nitrate. (laughs) It's It's what they make urinal cakes out of. (laughs) I've lost my place. Wake up, sheeple. Your (laughs) urinals are killing you. (laughs) Into a... Designated dissolving tank producer. Okay. Next, the mixture is carefully transported to a specially crafted buffer tank. The buffer tank containing the combined ingredients is specially designed to prevent fission from activity from reaching crit. Oh my God. Criticality. Criticality. Thank you. In a precipitation tank, ammonia is added, forming a solid product. This tank is meant to capture any remaining nuclear waste contaminants. In the final process, uranium oxide is placed in the dissolving tanks until purified, 
without enriching the isotopes and a wet process technology that was specialized in Japan. Pressure placed upon JCO to increase efficiency led the company to employ an illegal procedure wherein they skipped several key steps in the enrichment process. Man, (laughs) if you don't want to cut corners in exactly one area, it's fucking nuclear power. Right. The technicians poured the product by hand in stainless steel buckets directly into the precipitation tank. This process inadvertently contributed to a critical mass level incident, triggering uncontrolled nuclear chain reactions over the next several hours. JCO facility technicians Hisashi Ochi, Masato Shinohara, and Yutaka Yokokawa were speeding up the last few steps of the fuel conversion process to meet shipping requirements. It was JC. Yeah. You don't you don't cut corners and you don't rush when you're fucking with nuclear materials. It was JCO's first batch of fuel for the Joyo experimental fast breeder reactor in three years. No proper qualifications and training requirements were established to prepare for the process. To save processing time and for convenience, the team mixed the chemicals in buckets. The workers followed JCO operating manual guidance in this process but were unaware that it was not approved by the STA. Wow. Under correct operating procedures, urinal nitrate would be stored inside a buffer tank and gradually pumped into a precipitation tank in five-pound increments. At around 1035, the precipitation tank reached critical mass when its fill level, containing about 35 pounds of uranium, reached criticality in the tall and narrow buffer tank. The hazardous level was reached after a techni- the technicians added a seventh bucket containing aqueous uranyl nitrate enriched to 18.8% to the tank. The solution added to the tank was almost seven times the legal mass limit specified by the STA. Wow. Yup. The nuclear fuel conversion standard specified in the 1996 JCO operating manual dictated the proper procedures regarding the dissolution of uranium oxide powder in a designated dissolution tank. The buffer tank's tall, narrow geometry was designed to hold the solution safely and to prevent criticality. In contrast... I just realized we're about to have, we're about to, have to hear some real descriptions of what can happen to your body from radiation poisoning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The precipitation tank... Uh, I would like to remind you that the first thing we talked about today <laughs> was, was a man with no skin. <laughs> mm-hmm. This man about to have no skin and gooey bones. Yeah. Like, it's going to so, be gross, you guys. Uh, and, oh, yeah. Big... Well, we'll just go ahead and throw a trigger warning right here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Big body, body horror. horror. Yeah. Big body horror trigger warning right here. In contrast, the precipitation tank had not been designed to hold unlimited quantities of this type of solution. What? Yeah. No. The designed wine syndrilical shape made it favorable to criticality. The workers. This means it made it easier for it to go critical. Yeah. The workers bypassed the buffer tanks entirely, opting to pour the urinal nitrate directly into the precipitation tank. It's called a buffer for a reason. It's called a buffer for a fucking reason. Yep. An uncontrolled nuclear fission began immediately. The resulting nuclear fission chain became self-sustaining, emitting intense gamma and neutron radiation. So this just goes to prove to everybody. Neutron radiation, fucking, yeah, fucking insane. And gamma radiation does not actually turn you into the Incredible Hulk. It no, it also, kills you fast. Yeah, I was going to say, it also, unfortunately, it does not turn you into Dr. Manhattan. No. Um no, it just make you sick and then you die. Now, at the time of the event, 
Aochi had his body draped over the tank. Oh, my God. While Shinohara stood on a platform to assist in pouring the solution. Oof. Yokokawa was sitting at a desk four meters away. All three technicians observed a blue flash. That blue flash, if you ever see that in your life, drop whatever the fuck you are doing, call 911, and go to the hospital. Yeah. Period. And gamma irradiation alarms sounded. Over the next several hours, the fission reaction produced continuous chain reactions. The plant was evacuated as Sasashi Aochi and his colleagues were taken to the National Institute of Radiological Sciences in Chiba. <laughs> Nothing. Don't even worry about that. When, when you said the blue flash initially, I went. <laughs> <laughs> it's physical comedy. It's yes. not for you guys at home. That's just for us. The plant was evacuated as Hisashi as Aochi. Oh, my God. Hisashi Aochi and his colleagues were taken to the National Institute. I've read that. Uh, they all had been directly exposed to the radiation, but because of their proximity to the fuel, they each were irradiated at different degrees. Yeah, radiation actually drops off sharply by distance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exposure to more than yeah. seven sieverts of radiation is considered fatal. Fucking A. The supervisor, Yataka Yokokawa, was exposed to three and would be the only one in the group to survive. He was like four meters four away meters in away. a desk. Yeah. yeah, that's like twelve-ish feet. Yes, and so uh, bearing in mind how sharply it drops off, like this is actually a perfect because you have a really nice radius of people here. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh, oh God, I wish we were talking about the fucking Kyle's here. I want you to watch it so we can just talk about how fucking interesting nuclear power okay. is. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch it tonight. Um. So there is one guy who is four meters away. Right. At a desk. He was exposed to. Did did he three. die? No, he was no, the only was one to survive. Yes, and he was exposed to seven or to three, three. three. And then you have. Does it give yeah. how much they mm-hmm. were each exposed to? Masato Shinohara, who was the one that was standing next to the tank, uh-huh. uh huh, was exposed to ten sieverts. Yeah. While Hisashi Aochi, who stood directly over the steel bucket, was exposed to seventeen sieverts. <laughs> So you're you're standing close enough to help another man lift a bucket and you get almost half the radiation he got and a dude 12 feet away got like a third of what you got. Yeah. And as much as so it's like we're talking about how safe nuclear power is because, you know, we don't want to we don't want to be part of like a fear mongering thing. Yeah. Um, You have to be fucking up real Real bad bad for this to happen. And it's also not his Sishi's fault that he yeah. was fucking up this bad no, because this is, he literally, he had worked here for 10 years. This is on the people okay? who trained him and his colleagues. Right. Yes. And he had no idea the, the gravity of the, the materials that they were working with. And that's what you find in so many nuclear accidents inside mm-hmm. of facilities like this, where it's because some higher up was like, fuck it. We can save money. Fuck those dudes. Right. And that's really it. Like, there's a story about um, America had these experimental um, mini nuclear power plants. Mm-hmm. And there's one of them that they had, instead of like the many, many fuel rods you have with the complicated setup in modern one um, reactors, uh, this was like a tiny reactor with only five fuel rods. And they were set up poorly. And one of the fuel rods stuck. And against laws even at the time... The there was a, the middle fuel rod could either 
start up the reactor or shut the reactor down by itself. The middle control rod, excuse me. So the control rod, those move up and down in between the fuel rods to let more or less neutrons and other radio starts or stops radioactive um, right. reactions, right? Well, this guy was by hand, the way he had been taught, by hand, him and two other dudes were in there, and he was trying to pull the fuel rod up by like an inch or two, mm-hmm. and it stuck. So he maybe he shimmied it. They don't really know exactly what happened, but they pulled it up too hard, and less than a second later, none of them were alive. Like, that's how fast it, like, it, the fucking, it went so critical it exploded because of poor design and poor training. Every one of the men who died that night had been working for this for this place for like less than 6 months. Yeah. Like you can't you can you you got to absolutely recognize like this is on the people who built built and trained built the facility and trained the personnel. Yeah. And you know, a dude who had a job died because he was taught how to do it incorrectly. Right. So for context, Hiroshima and Nagasaki survivors... On on purpose, by the way. Yeah. Hiroshima and Nagasaki survivors were exposed to 0.5 sieverts. And emergency workers who attended the Chernobyl disaster in the Ukraine were exposed to 0.25 sieverts. But despite experiencing such huge levels of radiation, Aochi did not die, at least not immediately. Radiation poisoning... The fastest it can kill you was like within a week is the fastest estimate. So it can kill you almost immediately, but you have to have an unimaginable level of radiation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he got double what is considered severe. Well, but I fatal. mean like yeah. it, to, to receive an amount of radiation that will kill you from radiation poisoning within less than a day yeah. is almost impossible from our technology. Like almost. So Aochi's exposure was the most radiation that any human being had ever suffered. He had of all of all time. Right. And we're talking about people who survived nuclear bombs. Yes. Yeah. And Chernobyl. And and at this point, the the concentration that they're working with is way more than you would get from the nuclear explosions. And that's very different. It's very, very different. Two very different types of nuclear reactions. I was going to say different types of reactions. Exactly. Um, But like this is in the 2000s. Right, ninety nine, ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. this is early, to, early, late nineties, early two thousands. This is after everything that I have talked about in from the Kyle Hill Hill thing that I like, like the Demon Core dudes. Both of them were literally standing on a reactive core for a bomb, and they did not receive this much radiation. Right. You understand? Yeah. Like that's how much a dude had a beam of gamma radiation pass through, or photon radiation pass through his skull, and did not receive as many sieverts as this guy. Yeah. Like it's so much. It's so much radiation. So he had been in immediate pain and could barely breathe. By the time he arrived at the hospital, he had already vomited violently and fallen unconscious. He like a- almost immediately started vomiting yeah. and couldn't stand mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. So his radiation burns covered his entire body and his eyes were leaking blood. For context, radiation this is the part we told you about the trigger warning for the body horror. Yeah. Radiation burns look like Someone took a piece of huge sandpaper and simply stripped your skin off. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Aochi's exposure was the, I've read that, sorry. Aochi's first week in intensive care involved countless skin grafts and blood transfusions. These tend not to work yeah. because the cellular degeneration of your body is just going too fast. Cell transplant specialist His, Hisamura Hirai, uh, yeah. yeah, next suggested a revolutionary approach that had never been tried on radiation victims before stem cell transplants. Mm -hmm. These would rapidly restore Aochi's ability to generate new blood. But within a day, Aochi's condition got worse. He began to require oxygen and his abdomen started to swell. For those Just, of you who were like... While we're here, real quick, stem mm -hmm. cells, another very cool thing that people are afraid of. Yeah. They're basically scientific magic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fucking, you know, get over your prejudices, you assholes. Yeah, but also... Just while we're here. Just while we're here. Um... Stem cell research is fucking imperative. Anyway, um, for anybody who's wondering, how does the human body make blood? Well, your bone marrow does that. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any descriptions of what happened to his bone yes. marrow? All right, well, we're not talking about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Things continued downhill after he arrived at the University of Tokyo, Tokyo Hospital. Six days after the accident, a specialist who looked at images of his chromosomes in Aochi's bone marrow saw only scattered black dots. Indi it, sorry, radiation kills your DNA. Yeah. Yes, uh, Hisichi Ouchi, uh, the only human being to ever live that had no DNA. Or immune system. Yeah. Literally no DNA in yeah. his entire body. Yes. The way I saw vid one video explains something Which I read. Basically, philosophically disturbing. Yes. Kind of explained that radiation was like tiny knives or swords that would pass through his cells and just split his cells and DNA and chromosomes and half. Yeah. It's literally like a laser. Yeah. It's a light. Mm -hmm. it's, right. It's, it's, it's a laser that blows up your fucking DNA, like in an anime, literally. Yeah. So because of this, Aochi's body wouldn't be able to generate new cells. A week after the accident, Aochi received a peripheral blood stem cell transplant with his sister volunteering as a donor. Now, this approach would be much faster than bone marrow transplants. Disturbingly, the method appeared to work before Aochi returned to his state of near death. Now, most dire was his lack of white blood cells and the absence of an immune response. Doctors placed him in a special ward to prevent infection and assess the damages to his internal organs. Um, I do have to say, though, one of the crazy things about radiation poisoning as it stands now is that if we were not so fearful of stem cell research and other types of biological research, um, we eventually, the human race, may be able to straight up stop and or reverse radiation poisoning. Yeah. Like, like we we are on track this is why radiation isn't should not be so terrifying because we are on track to have the ability to just stop radiation poisoning from happening to your body we're on track for that now like it's one of the final problems we have to solve by the way it's like crazy to me to think about but like it's, it's really sad too when you think of all the people that are like this guy dying because we didn't have the knowledge, and one of the reasons we didn't is because of fear. Mm -hmm. So it's it's things like our our fear of nuclear power and our fear of stem stem cell research and our fear of fucking with our own DNA mm -hmm. that I think humanity has to get over 
because I believe, and this is a little bit off topic, but I believe that the next step in human evolution will come as a result of our being able to modify ourselves. Probably. Either biologically or technologically. We're at a we're at an evolutionary crossroads, in my opinion. Me and my friend John talk about this all the time. Where we're either going to learn how to modify and change our own DNA or the DNA probably first the DNA of our offspring and then our own active DNA to where we can modify ourselves biologically mm-hmm. to be more fit for survival or and mentally as well because part of part of mental health is in DNA mm-hmm. and it's either going to be that or it's going to be like cyberpunk type shit me and my friend John actually think it's going to be a, a weird combination of both of these things. It will absolutely be a combination of both of these things, but it's going to lean very hard one way or the other, and it's going to depend on which field gets there first. It's like if we can map our DNA structures first or can we map our brain first. That's mm-hmm. the only fucking variable. Yep. So three days later, he was transferred to the University of Tokyo Hospital where revolutionary stem cell procedures would be tested. Nevertheless, now keep in mind, this man is in extreme pain. Oh, yeah. The whole time. So nevertheless, unimaginable pain. You have never been in any kind of pain that is vaguely similar to the amount of pain that he is in. If if your whole whole body has been burned beyond recognition and you lived, maybe, maybe, maybe you can relate. Yeah. So just imagine radiation is literally invisible fire that burns your DNA. So just, you know, think about yeah. that for this yeah. whole thing. So he began to complain of thirst, and when medical tape was removed from his chest, his skin started coming off with it. Mm. He began developing blisters. This is where I like to remind people of the word slough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, tests showed that the radiation had killed the chromosomes that normally would enable his skin to regenerate, so that his epidermis, or the outer layer that protected his body, gradually vanished. The pain became intense. He began experiencing breathing problems as well. Two weeks after the accident, he was no longer able to eat and had to be fed intravenously. Two months after his ordeal, his heart stopped, Yes, though doctors were able to revive him. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. There was one day, and you you might have this in there. I'm sorry if I'm stealing it. One day he experienced like five heart attacks. Within like 40 minutes. Yeah, uh within an hour. We haven't gotten to the bone marrow thing yet, but... When you experience radiation poisoning this severe, your bone marrow and your bones literally turn into what I can only describe as gelatin. Yeah. They were constantly sticking needles into his bones, which, I mean, imagine... uh, So they can do bone marrow transplants right now. It fucking hurts. But it's like... They were able to just stick a needle into his bones. Suck the bones up. Yeah. As goo. Yes, because that's not how a bone marrow transplant works as it as it is right now. But because his bones were so modified by the radiation, right? So and photo- he didn't get a single fucking superpower, dude. <laughs> I know his superpower was being in immense pain for the rest of his actual life. Right? Yeah. So photographs of Hisashi Aoichi's chromosomes showed them completely decimated. The profuse amount of radiation coursing through his blood eradicated the introduced stem cells. And images of Hisashi Aochi show that his skin grafts could not hold because his DNA couldn't rebuild itself. 
At one point, he cried out, I can't take it anymore. I am not a guinea pig. But at his family's insistence, the doctors continued their experimental treatments even as his skin began to melt from his body. You know what? If my skin is melting off my body, I would rather die. Yeah. So, yes, same. And here's the bitch of it, right? Is this isn't totally on the doctors in question. No, it's right? family. Yes, because a lot of people are going to hear this and think that was unethical and the doctors probably did this out of a fucked up sense of curiosity. There is a story like that. It ain't this one. No, no, there there is a story that's similar to this, um, that the doctors were effectively just keeping the patient alive out of a morbid, uh, unethical curiosity for because they had never had a case like this in front of them. And mind you, the doctors and researchers and everything did take away everything from this that they could mm-hmm. educationally. But the main thing that was at play here that was keeping them from being able to, you know, humanely let him die or um, just euthanize him effectively um, was the fact that his family refused mm-hmm. time and time again, even at his request, mm-hmm. to sign a DNR, a yeah. do not resuscitate order. They would not sign it. Which I have I have seen, witnessed a lot of people in my family die. Because that's what happens when you have a big ass family and everybody in it is old. And I got to tell you, fuck you for that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like... Somebody is they're at the end of their life. They're past the end of their life. And you're sitting there like, no, but I want them to stay. Fuck you. Not about you anymore. It's not about you anymore. Especially when they've spent their whole life doing shit like working in a radiation factory to fucking feed you. Right. Take a you do it for yourself now and get get it together because this person is done. They're done. Let them sleep. Mm-hmm. It's also big time worth mentioning here that all of the doctors and everyone that were in charge of taking care of Ouchi, um, also had it real hard. Like the, it was mentally difficult oh, yeah. for them. They were all traumatized yeah. by this experience. None of the doctors were like, oh my God, I'm so excited that we get to do this. Mm-hmm. No, it was horrific for them. Then on Aochi's 59th day in the hospital, he had a heart attack, but his family agreed that he should be resuscitated in case of death. So the doctors revived him. He would eventually have three heart attacks in one hour. Yeah. Okay. It was three, not yeah. five. Let me say this. If I have three heart attacks in an hour and I've already had a couple probably before that and also my skin is melting and I am sane because radiation does not fucking kill your it doesn't make you not sane like put me goddamn down. Yeah. Put me down. So for some reason I didn't even put in here. He was kept alive for 83 days. That's fucking insane. So, with his DNA obliterated and brain damage increasing every time he died, Aouchi's fate had long been sealed. It was only a merciful final cardiac arrest due to multi-organ failure on December 21st, 1999, that released him from the pain. And And I know some people that listen to this podcast might not agree with that whole assisted suicide shit or whatever, but look... I, I've seen way too many people hit the end of their life and look at you with the eyes of a person whose life has been over. 
and still have to fucking wake up tomorrow. Yeah. That is a horrible existence, and I would not wish it upon anybody who did not wish it for themselves. That's I remember when my dad was still cognizant, and I was sitting there, and he was talking to his nurses, and I heard his nurses say, and you have a DNR, correct? And me, me just feeling in my heart, I was like, no, I can't believe he's got a DNR. But that last time that I was there, mm. when his mind was gone, and I could tell that... He knew yeah. his mind was gone. Yeah. When and you know you're not you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I completely understood it. And I, you know. Doug Stanhope is a stand up comedian who I have seen some specials of. And I'll tell you right now, he's not for everybody. He's like older. He's an alcoholic and he drinks, he smokes cigarettes on stage and shit. And he says words like broads, chicks, because <laughs> he's that's his age or whatever. And, you know, he does try or whatever, but he talks about one time there's a story called in his special. I want to say it's called Beer Hall Pushed or Pushed. It's what the uh, Germans did when Hitler was taking over. It was like the get into a beer hall and start talking to people uh-huh. sort of deal. And he was talking about how it was the first time he told the story on stage. And it was uh, after the uh, statute of limitations had ended. Yeah. Because his his mother was in a similar situation where she was old and she was dying and she was in hospice and she had the morphine shit. And they had talked to her doctor and her doctor was like, you know, I can't tell you to do that. I would say do not give her this much. Yep. And he was like, all right. And then they had a conversations with his mom and stuff. She's like, yeah, I just kind of want to like. I want to have, you know, I haven't been able to drink or smoke or do any of these things that I used to do. I want to have one final fucking party night and just party my ass off and then go to sleep. And so that's what they did. And when I heard that story, I was like, yeah, that's how I want to go. You yep. know, like I want to fucking get real goddamn high on my last day on earth. Drown me in cocaine hookers and good <laughs> prescription meds. Goddamn right. I want to die right after a lap dance. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> But like, that's kind of how I feel about the whole thing. It's like, if you were the type of person who you're say in your heart, you're like, no, I'm going to fucking stick it out until the end, the end. That's fine. I'm the type of person where if, if my brain is gone, that's me and I'm dead already. Let me go. I'm not here no more. Bye. Yeah. Well, on that happy note, uh, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> and uh, Welcome back to fucking Two Towns Over, bitches. Yeah. That reminds me. I was watching. There's a guy I watch on YouTube called Brandon Ferris. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever seen him before. Mm, heard he's, of him. Yeah. He's the guy that would like eat like spiders in his car and freak out. Oh, yeah. Well, he was doing something the other day where he was taking pumpkins and was putting rubber bands until yeah, they exploded. Sure, sure. We did that outside of uh, my old job one day. And he actually at one point made that, and I was like half listening because if he's on, I'm just kind of listening and playing on my phone. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I heard him say, if you explode, I'm going to be two towns over. And I was like, what? (laughs) what?" And I was like, oh, you didn't actually mention our show. But so anyways, everybody, we're back. So let's go through the spiel. You know what to do. Uh, Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash TTO pod. Uh, we have a Patreon if you can financially support us. That's patreon.com slash two towns over. A lot of our patrons have recently upped their pledges, yes. and we see you and we appreciate you yes. guys and, so, and so much. All of the stuff we promised is coming. Give us five star ratings on whatever you're listening yep. on. 
Uh, leave us a review on Apple. Share us around to and, your friends who might like this podcast. Yeah, we've had a few people recommend us on Facebook. Um, I didn't realize that until I realized how to search for that. Ah, um, yeah, social media is weird. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I believe that's all of the the info. That's of course, for those of you who stay all the way to the yeah. end like this because you're in the shower and you can't reach out to mm-hmm. skip our spiel at the end. Or because uh, like somebody just cut you off in traffic and you're busy yelling at them. Right, yeah, you're too busy honking your horn at traffic right now. Remember, Satanic Panic series, it's coming the yep. fuck up, you guys. January it's going to be big. Like, I can't stress enough how big this series is going to be. Like, we've, we've... I'm going to talk about hypnotism. Yeah, we, yeah, we've dived into a lot of different small aspects of the Satanic Panic over the last year that we've been doing this. Yeah. Um, but we are, we are doing a wide-reaching series on this, and it is going to be big for us that's and right and i it's, i can't express enough like how excited i am for it and We're how fucking, excited you guys should be for it pumped yeah a lot of changes are going to come up when january 1st rolls around and we are we are going to have strong formatting yes for that. it's going to be a lot of fun um, and then after that, it's, I don't want to tease it too much yet, but we're going to be kind of getting into another little series after that. That's going to be a lot of fun too. Sorry. Uh, just a little bit of a, just a little bit of a tease for that, that series after the satanic panic. That's right. We've gotten with Elon Musk. We're going into space. We're going to space. We're the first podcasters in space. They're going to think that it's something space related now. <laughs> yeah, I know. We should just That's like why. say that it's something different and weird every nah, it's single fully, time. It's space. It's mm-hmm. totally space. It's definitely space. Don't worry, guys. It's Don't space. We have space, space. We've got a space par- program coming up. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, uh, <laughs> we're going to call it Two Planets Over. Yep. And it's going to be great. <laughs> so fuck cancer. Be good to yourself. Go get therapy. And we love you guys. Bye. Bye.